What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the AlbumReview.net podcast. I'm Greg Potters. Thanks to all you listeners out there for your interaction and feedback. Your feedback is much appreciated and it helps me to always improve. Today's theme is risk, chance, gambling, betting, and of course, rekindling my love of an old album. So thanks for listening. On today's episode, I'm joined by musician and film editor who works regularly with actor Benicio Del Toro, my oldest friend in the world, Zach Stoff. Zach also has experience as a member of the Rye Cumming Band, now called Rye X. He was the bass player, and Zach and Rye were the opening band for Maroon 5 during their 2010 U.S. tour. So in many, many ways, I think Zach is qualified to talk about music. Not to mention, he's also my oldest friend in the world of 46 years. And in this episode, Zach and I break down the very first Rush album that we bonded to, 1991's Roll the Bones. If you listen to a previous episode, episode number 28, Zach and I reviewed Rush's 1978 masterpiece, Hemispheres. Zach also joined me way back on episode 6 for a deep, deep review of Frank Zappa's Hot Rats. So after listening to this, I encourage you to go back and check those out as well. Remember, you can read my reviews and listen to any of my podcast episodes by going to albumreview.net. These episodes can also be heard wherever podcasts are available. Please follow the podcast on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes. And also, if you guys would be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, That helps move the needle and get the word out there. In addition to listening, if you like reading, you can check out over 50 written reviews at albumreview.net and pick up some merchandise from your favorite bands. I also have the bookstore where you can check out music autobiographies in addition to the many books published by authors that I've had here on the show. When you're visiting albumreview.net, be sure to also check out the store. I've got a wide variety of items for purchase there. You can pick yourself up items such as trucker hats, t-shirts, several of your favorite albums, as I mentioned, but we've also got home sound systems in addition to books that I highly, highly recommend. All right, let the gambling begin. Please enjoy this episode, a full review of Rush's 1991 album, Roll the Bones. The element of chance. What does this mean? Nothing in life is certain, but there is always this existing element of chance. For when someone takes a chance, there is no way to know for sure whether it will pay off or not. Some believe, no matter what you do, if it's not going to hurt too much, you should always take that chance. Some disagree and rarely take chances. Others are more calculated and take chances only after they feel comfortable with their own personal risk assessment. But due to the random nature of the world around us, there is no way that someone can properly determine what their chances of something are. All right, I suppose a uh, statistician, I got it. I nailed it. 
A statistician could spend weeks collecting data, then present their hypothesis. But doesn't taking that road lead you right back to the question in mind? Do I take a chance or not? The element of chance was the initial theme drummer and lyricist Neil Peart was going for when he first picked up a pen to write lyrics for their 1991 album, Roll the Bones. And so joining me today is a good friend, an old friend, best friend, Zach Stoff, who was previously, well, he's been on several episodes of the pod, but the last one was when we went through Rush's Hemispheres, and we're going to get into this one today. So, Zach, buddy, thanks again for joining, man. Yeah, man, it's great to be here. It's so much fun. So excited for this. From Altadena, California, Zach and I grew up listening to Rush together, and we're going to get into all of this. It, Zach is the reason, Zach and his brother Jason are the reason that I even fell in love with the band. So the band, for those of you who don't know, Rush, the trio who got their start in Ontario, Canada in the late 1960s, they were coming off a successful world tour for their 1989 album, Presto. The band enjoyed the Presto tour so much when it completed in mid-1990 that they cut their vacation time short to start writing and recording their next album, which would be their 14th studio album. Bassist and lead singer Getty Lee wanted to implement stronger vocal melodies in each song, and he wanted to base the instruments and writing around those. So if, if you guys are familiar with early Rush from the 1970s, most of the albums consist of Lee's screeching vocal range partnered with lengthy instrumentals. And throughout the 1980s, their music was more representative of the, the genre happening at the time, music consisting of synthesizers, electric drums, bad hair, and really bad freaking outfits. So for Roll the Bones, the album continues moving in the same direction as with Presto. Less of those 80s synths and more guitar and distortion. And like most Rush albums, Lee and guitarist Alex Lifeson focused on writing their music with drummer Neil Peart writing the lyrics, which a lot of Rush fans already know. And when Rush's original drummer, John Rutsey, decided to quit the band in 1974, Peart auditioned to replace him, and it only took Lee and Lifeson about one minute to decide that Neil was the right fit. In addition to his exceptional drumming, it was clear to Getty and Alex early on that Neil was also incredibly verbose. He read a lot and displayed a strong sense of awareness, sensitivity, and intelligence. And this was so apparent that Lee and Lifeson later asked Neil to write most of the lyrics for what would be their next album, 1975's Fly By Night. And the writing continued throughout the remainder of Rush's career. So, Zach, can you remember the first time that you heard this album and sort of how you heard it? Like... Was it introduced to you? Did you stumble ac across it? Oh, man. Yeah. One of the things that struck me when I just was going, I just love the, the beauty of doing these podcasts is, is that you just get to dive back into this, you know, albums and just, and, and live it like you've been doing for all, the whole time you've been doing these. But for your guests, like for myself, it's like, all right, cool. I'm going to listen to Roll the Bones on repeat for like a week or two now and yeah. in the car. And so as I do here in LA, like we all listen to everything in the car. 
Um, <laughs> but but it is nice to listen to albums like blared in your car, um, oh, especially man. when you're you're stuck in traffic. Oh yeah. So that's been my reality the last week or so, listening to Roll the Bones. And one of the things that struck me on it was how that it, it came out earlier than I thought. It came out in I guess ninety one, and we were freshmen in high school at that time we were 14 years old in the fall of 91. so we were just starting freshman year right? correct yeah yep yep so certainly there was like a, a a correlation there with sort of starting high school oh yeah i mean discovering many things but all you know discovering rush from my brother as you mentioned who was a guitar is a guitar player and, and at that time played a lot of these rush songs over and over again just learning them and was really into them and back when I'm in the world of CDs and tapes and and tape mixes and I just would constantly hear rush coming out of his room and and guitar licks over and over again trying to get them right and not really knowing where they came from until years later when I'm listening to the music and I'm like, oh, so that's what he was trying to play. Right. So I definitely had the advantage of, of getting introduced to a lot of this through him. So it was through mixtapes and stuff where you don't necessarily know what albums these songs come from. Right. I would say Roll the Bones being the, the latest album that they had at the time that we got into them it made sense that that album was sort of a, a different kind of one that we connected with versus their older albums, because obviously that was the first tour that we went on, yep. on the Roll the Bones tour. So it was it was just the latest stuff that you'd hear on the radio still at that time. And in particular, this one, I think, had a lot of commercial success. So I would say like early in that freshman year, Perhaps it was even the summer going into freshman year where I started getting exposed to Rush. And then I'd say the Presto album was was the one that my brother was particularly into at that time because they were coming off of that album and he had right. gone to see them during that tour. And so Roll the Bones kind of had just come out and I just, you know, everything about it, the cover of it, the artwork, I just remember just, you know, staring at this album cover, just looking at it like this kid, you know, kicking a skull down yeah. the sidewalk, you know, just right. what a cool image for an album cover. And then the dot, all the dice in the background, it's just, everything is complete about this. Like the, like the, the, the concept of the album all the way through to like, you're saying that whole theme of chance, which goes through the entire album, which I thought a lot more about as I revisited it you know, how much of all the songs kind of connect with that idea. And just musically, I was also starting to play bass too. And, and, right. and, you know, and you were as well, I think at the time, like, you know, we were both kind of also really excited, you know, starting out playing a new instrument and then being and the bass Getty. guitar and Very seeing Getty yeah. and just like trying to, you know, going home after school and learning, trying to learn, you know, all the bass lines and, you know, the, the solos to all the songs. And I remember playing Where's My Thing and that bass line. Uh, yeah. So just everything was like, it was just, it was almost like the Roll of Bones album was like, it was like our gateway to rushes to the rush world 
for me. It was Zach, like Zach, you bring up such a good point, uh, and I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. I, I was thinking about this when I was doing my research. I, I think freshman year of high school, you already kind of said it. It's one of the most impactful parts of of one's life, at least in America, the way it's structured. This is kind of random, but that's why I love that movie, The Perks of Being a Wildflower, so much. Even though it's kind of a dark movie, if you watch it all the way to the end, it's it's basically about a boy who goes to high school and he's just trying to fit in. He just really all he wants are friends. And I can remember that was kind of like what I wanted too. I I, I wasn't necessarily on this path of like I want to study this or I want to study that. I just I wanted to just find my group of friends. You and I were at separate high schools. Uh, freshman year, but I finally um, got my wits about me and joined you junior year. But I just wanted to find my group of people. I wanted to share my love for music with them day after day and just make going to school tolerable. And I think another impactful time is freshman year of college, followed by freshman year of grown-up life, because they both force major change in oneself, and they're like a smash of reality in the face. So, I mean, when you agree, you, you learn everything you knew in middle school and then in high school and then in college, you learn that those are all in the past and they're gone, right? So then you have, you, you must take those ex experiences and learn from them and move on. So the music that we first heard during these impactful times in our lives certainly created vivid memories that stuck, you know, with us for decades. And I think even up to today, and that's really, I think why we're talking about Roll the Bones. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and the way we, we interacted and, and, and almost like befriended music and albums then was so completely different than the way we interact with music today. And, um, totally. you know, you, we had, we had a CD player in our room with the whole, the components and all that stuff. If you wanted to play that album, you had to get, get that CD and put it in there yeah. and play it. And so you have a, you had a connection with the album in a different way than just, you know, living in our kind of fluid world of streaming music all the time, any time at your fingertips. You know, there's some nice things about that. But um, what I would say is like, we had more kind of one-on-one -on -one experiences with albums where you just felt like you're, you're going to live with that album in your room for the, the duration of what, however long that album is. And yeah. it's going to take as long as you need to like do your math homework and, and maybe, you know, you might have to play it again. And, and so you got really connected to the, 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 the order of the songs and the songs and just like oh, the, the whole album as a whole. Dude, you're nailing it. I mean, like you're nailing it. I, one of the things that I pulled out from my research was a 1991 video that Neil gave on the set of the Roll the Bones video for MTV. And during the video, he said almost like precisely what you're saying, you know, not verbatim, but he, I'll quote him. He says, quote, I've always had a sacrilegious view of pop music, that it's eminently disposable, that it's meant to be topical. It's kind of the journalism of the arts. I don't mean this to be falsely humble at all. That's the way I look at all pop music that I like, however much I like it. It's a part of my life now and that it's meant to be topical. It's meant to reflect on my life. A friend of mine used the phrase recently of the soundtrack of your life. That's what he expects from a good album, that it should come at a good time in his life to reflect his concerns, his passions, and it should occupy that place in his life 
And then he moves on and needs a new soundtrack for a new period of his life. That's what it is meant to be, a reflection of now, and then in a year or two, it's in the past. So Z, I just, I thought that that was an incredible quote and so relevant to, you know, just how we feel about music. And when I go back and listen to this, I specifically remember like 91 and 92. And even though I was listening to this album, I've been listening to it since then. I don't think of like a party that I was at in 2004 when I was listening to this album. I just always go back to those times. And so, you know, it's, it's such an interesting topic is like, Again, like those periods in your life when you, like music, especially for Zach and I, was so influential. Um, and I think that that's really what makes this album, you know, I'm going to say it a million times, but that's really what makes this album so special. But yeah, dude, you, you just, you gave a great point and I had to jump on that because it was precisely what Neil said. And I think it's kind of like the album is sort of the, your soundtrack, right? And think of those times back, you know, when you first heard. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's the great thing about, you know, doing, doing what you do here with the celebrating albums is, and, 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 you know, reflecting on how an album just leaves an imprint in your life. And I hope that never goes away, know. you know, with how we can connect with a, just, just the art and experience of creating an album of music. And, and that's precisely what it is for the musician. It's a moment in their life when they write a series of songs and it reflects where they are in their life. Right. So yeah. it, it makes sense. It should sort of be the same thing from the listener's standpoint, but just the way that, you know, we experience music nowadays, it's, it's harder for that to happen because it's so easy to just flip to the next track or whatever it is. And yeah. it's not as much of a stationary experience of just like, putting a CD and sitting down and listening to it, right. um, like we used to. So, you know, on, on, on the topic of Neil Peart, you know, I feel like just being huge Rush fans, we know all this music and, and Rush fans in general, like respond immediately to the, to the music of this stuff. But I don't, I think it's not until like these types of things where I start talking about the album and the songs that it really becomes just all about Neil Peart and his vision of the world. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's like when you really rediscover or, you know, remind yourself that, that this is his mind at work, you know, and these are his, his words. And I, we talked about this with the Hemispheres album and it's, you know, you think you say like concept album, well, that's exactly what Rush albums are. Each album is an, is a concept album that from the incredible depth of Neil Peart's mind Yep. And definitely got me thinking about all that here, like what was going on in his life and why was he so interested in this idea of chance and, and yeah. luck and, um, you but know, it's funny you mentioned that cause he shared his approach on coming up with the theme for the album. Like what, what was it about chance? And I think he was saying he liked to start thinking about a theme for every album each time. So he would spend time just kind of mulling before writing any lyrics, just coming up with a theme, right? Mm. Uh, and so for Presto, it was magic. And for Roll the Bones, it was chance. But Neil was saying that he liked the idea of a wild card. So that apparently was like the first thing that popped into his head. And he was like, how can I look into this? And this is just, I think, what's such, you know, could you, could you some of those rock drummers from the eighties who, you know, chug Jack Daniels in front of the camera during an interview, like, could you see them sitting down and thinking this intellectually, I guess this is just what made, I think, a lot of us 
just fall in love with Neil more. But he, Neil was looking at a wild card and then sort of what it represented. And he kept thinking like, turn it up or turn it down, turn, turn it up or turn that wild card down. And those were the very first lyrics that he wrote for the album, which ended up appearing on the song Face Up. And then he followed this theme while writing some of the other songs like Ghost of a Chance, Bravado, The Big Wheel, Neurotica. What was cool is because Neil wrote so fast, Getty and Alex were forced to speed up their process of writing the music to go along with the lyrics. And um, Zach, you're familiar with this studio, uh, Lay Studio in Morin Heights. I think I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Morin Heights, Ontario. They entered in 1991, February of 91, and they would finish recording by May of that same year. Going back, Neil found that he had the propensity to create drum parts that were almost too rigid. Um, you know, and I think the rigidness of it, the technicality of it is what got a lot of Rush fans, especially Zach and I, into it. But Neil was saying they were a little too organized and too architectural. And so for Roll the Bones, he wanted to improvise a little bit more. And so during a lot of the recording sessions, I, I guess he would arrive without rehearsing and just add his drums into the song, leaving kind of a, a less complex rhythm, but still left the song with a strong rocking groove. So. One of the interesting things about this album, it was produced by Rush as well as Rupert Hine, who had also produced artists such as Tina Turner, uh, Stevie Nicks, Suzanne Vega, and Thompson Twins. Z, I, I also found out that he produced the score for one of my favorite 80s movies of all time. Actually, one of my favorite movies of all time ended up coming out in the 80s, uh, Better Off Dead. So, oh. of course... Yeah, and, and uh, not long ago, like a week ago, I, uh, I think I had had a beer or two, and I was flipping through the channels, and Danny was sitting next to me on his iPad, my son, and I was like, oh, all right, I think the swears are cut out of this. Yeah, I'm just going to watch it. So Danny watched the scene when the, the, the mom like puts the slop on John Cusack's plate, and then... <laughs> Yeah. It's got raisins in it. You oh, yes. raisins. And <laughs> yes. then it just crawls off of his plate. Yes. And he just watches it. Um, so anyway, so my son oh, got a kick out of that. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so that's Rupert Hines. So he's done a lot. And the band was really comfortable with Rupert because he had co-produced their previous album, Presto. And he kind of knew the direction that the band wanted to continue moving in with Roll the Bone. So they had originally planned to release the album in January of 92. So that would have made more sense from like kind of what you were remembering from time frame, Zach. But they said that writing and recording just went so well that they moved the date up to, and it was them as opposed to the record company. They moved the date up to September 91. And so the album came out on September 3rd, 1991. It was released, or I guess nowadays, a lot of people say dropped, but it came out in record stores everywhere. So Z, also, you were mentioning the uh, album cover earlier. Album cover was designed by the same guy that designed the Hemispheres album cover, Hugh, uh, it's either Hugh Sim or Hugh Sim, uh, S-Y-M-E. The cover, as Zach said, portrays a boy in front of a giant wall of dice, several hundred different, is it die? Die. 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 Um, is it die? dice? Uh, like, I think what's dice, dice plural. plural? Is it, is dice many, plural die? Like uh, many die? I think dice, dice is plural. Roll the dice. Dice is the plural. One die. 
is a yeah singular die oh, or look at that english lesson every day um so this is a direct representation of the theme that we previously mentioned chance and it also plays on many of the terms that you know are used in gambling card games and dice rolling we've we've all heard them right like the dice and see what happens I know, Zach, I know we've been to casinos together many times, and I've never really been like a big gambler. But one of the many things, the list is very long, but one of the many things I admire about you, especially when we were growing up, was I think you had a little bit more, a lot more of that like willingness to take chances. And I think that they were uh, a lot more calculated, but there were times we were like, screw it, I'm going to Spain. (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah. i mean i i can remember sitting in dreary horrendous office like in a cubicle and i'd get like an email or a postcard from zach and it would be at another cool place and so um you know i i think uh i think you really grew up with this mindset whereas to me it was sort of something that was over there it was it was a ye instead of a key <laughs> there you go nice connection so i mean but but back then dude did did you did you really dive into the lyrics as much as kind of the way we do it now today no no absolutely not i think <laughs> i mean <laughs> i mean, guess i'm laughing because i agree like i didn't yeah yeah right and like looking back on it now absolutely like you're you look at the words differently now i think when you're in that world of discovering stuff and just at that stage in our life i mean when i was you know like post-college those years that you were just talking about there i think i was more reflective of 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 lyrics and stuff like that but it at this time when 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 we were just when i was just soaking in as much rush as i could and just I was, I think it was all about the music for me. It was like, they could have been talking about anything. Like, I don't, I didn't know what bravado meant, you know, like, like, like okay, maybe I think, I mean, I could have looked it up and, you know, but, um, but it had to get your encyclopedia out though. Yeah. My, my, I could go find the world book encyclopedia and, and my parents, uh, wants you know, to do that. And yeah. I think, no, the whole idea and the themes of the words and stuff, I think generally, you know, it's the, you, it has to be the music that captures you first. Um, and, 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 and the music is a, is a, is a container, is a vehicle to, to give you the thoughts and the words, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the challenge of writing a good song, right? Like you you gotta, it, it has to be, it has to appeal to you musically. And then, um, the words are sort of in the background. And I, and I think for you to really think about the words, I mean, you know, sort of talking about with albums where we used to have, you know, big albums and you could sometimes read the lyrics on the inside, but that was like the only way you could really get lyrics. Like you didn't have, you couldn't just look up lyrics, you know, back then it was like, you had to either really listen to them or, or have them written out in the album. Maybe that was a little bit of a limitation, but I think it was more about just where, where we were at. You know, I didn't, I, I really didn't think a whole lot about about a lot of these themes and and until now, like looking back on this album and really like thinking about what he was actually saying and and how everything is connected. And but no, for me it was just all it was much more just 
just the, the 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 tangible the music how it hit me the artwork the feel of it the 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 visuals and the you know going to the concert and seeing all the cool like the 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 skeleton and the bones and like the 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 whole like visual concept of it was just so cool it's such a cool visual idea to base a, an album around you know and and they did so well in 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 all their albums and then just brought it into their live shows i would say no it's, it was really just entirely about the music for me when when i was really just getting into rush and just trying to learn play the songs and and i mean on that note just musically this album you know when you mentioned that that producer it makes sense because the whole sound of this album has okay. this amazing commercial like sound to it it makes sense that that producer worked with all those artists and had a lot of success in like the 80s and early 90s and he was that it was just that kind of sound because you just hear that throughout this album these amazing transitions and changes and these just blankets of like you know there there's definitely some some synth and things going on in the background but it doesn't overpower the overall sound of it no, you know it, it's a rock album i mean there are some softer yeah. songs it, it, this was, you said it again, man, you hit the nail on the head. Like this was really the album that kind of made us dive deeper. It wasn't the first thing we'd heard, right? You had your brother. For me, you passed that on to me. You made me the ever so famous, and it still sits about 10 feet from me, the incredibly rush mixtape. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that Jack meant to write incredible rush, but he wrote incredibly rush, which made it way cooler. And I thought for like 10 years that he meant to do that and then one time he like looked at the tape and was like oh wait a minute uh, <laughs> yeah but it was like six or no it was like seventh or eighth grade and it had songs on it like closer to the heart but you had the closer to the heart from a show of hands that had the ding 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 which gave me goosebumps and made me go who is yes bastille day obviously tom sawyer and spirit of radio but this mixtape was really the beginning of my love and it made me instantly decide I, I wanted more. I was, I was hooked. And with about a year of experience in that mixtape, like I didn't have any albums, so I just had that tape. And then I think Zach made me another one and um, you were trying to woo me or something now. Uh, but they, they came out with Roll the Bones in September of 91 and it was the first new Rush album, kind of like with Division Bell for us, right? Like we were Floyd fans and we were like, oh my God, this band, oh my God. And then they released Division Bell, and it was like, wait a minute, they've got new music. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, it was good. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's the way it was. If 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 the people listening out there, if you guys either went back or go back in the future, listen to our review of uh, Rush's '78 album Hemispheres, you might remember Zach and I fawning over the band's technical instrumental talent. I'm not going to go too deep into that on this one. You can listen to the, the you know, the Hemispheres podcast um, because I'm not going to go through like the whole is Neil the greatest of all time. I just feel exhausted by that argument. But if I don't feel you guys have to agree with me, but if Neil is not at least in the conversation, then you need to sit down and just listen to this. <laughs>
Okay, so dude, the album opens with Dreamline. He's got a roadmap of Jupiter, radar fix on the stars, all along the highway. She's got a little crystal compass, a picture book of the rivers under the Sahara. They travel in the time of the prophets On the desert highway Straight to the heart of the sun Like lovers and heroes I'm the restless part of everyone Which was inspired by thoughts. I'm not going to go through every song, but Zach and I wanted to touch upon some that were kind of special to us. Special! We, we got to tell that story just, driving back from this concert. Just right? knew. <clears throat> no, that was oh, no, wasn't that this was one. the counterparts show in Worcester. Oh, okay, okay. The Roll the Bones show was in. Um, I think we Zach. I think we saw that was them Worcester too. Twice. No, it was at Great Woods. I got the stub. Uh, it was Roll the Bones was Great Woods. Yep. Yep. I got that wasn't the one where my dad had to get the wristband. That was counterparts. That was, that counterparts. was counterparts. When he dropped me off at the Centrum, it was a, a cold February or March, and I waited in line. At that show, we we were in your mom's caravan and uh, Plymouth Voyager, and oh, yeah. um, the the sliding door was open, and we were driving, so the light in the car was on. People were looking at us, and I didn't realize like why people were staring at us. And then like you and I looked at each other, we were like, "Oh, the lights on!" Like <laughs> people are just like staring at us. And then we got on, yeah. Then we got on uh, Route Nine, going the wrong direction. We were like, we were like Dumb and Dumber, literally. Like we saw signs for Colorado, and it was like, "Oh, this isn't Wellesley." Wait a second. So when we finally figured it out, we just obviously just did a quick U-turn. But by that point, it was it was pretty late. So um, wow, yeah. So getting back to the album, so it the album opens with Dreamline, which was inspired by thoughts and feelings that Neil had frequently during his motorcycle travel. He used to, uh, I I'm not sure exactly what tour it started on, but he Neil did it all the way through really the final tour the r40 tour where he would get on his his bike and ride from town to town and i guess he was doing it on the presto tour and he came up with some of the lines were only immortal for unlimited time and so zach i think this song's really about going for it like going for your dreams whether they work or not we've talked about this a bunch of times already but as 14 year olds i think this spoke directly to us Again, I know we weren't necessarily as deep in the lyrics, but I certainly remember some of those quick lines that came during changes or right before a change. We're only immortal for a limited time when we are young. Um, and, you know, it's just looking back on it now today. When you're 14, you just don't think about, like, what how special it is to just be around and be alive and be healthy. Um, but anyway, as a freshman in high school, I was knee deep in you know, dreams of becoming a rock star. And Zach actually got to live that out. And so I think those were things I think now even today speak, speak to us as well. So 
I don't know. What are your thoughts yeah. about Dreamline? I remember they used to open a lot of shows with that song. Absolutely. Gr amazing opener to a concert, opener to an album. And and like you said, the, 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 you know, wandering the face of the earth, wondering what your dreams might be worth, knowing that you're only immortal for a limited time. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, um, that's just, you know, you know, it, it, it got me thinking you were talking about do the lyrics hit you at that part time of your life? And yeah, I think when you're where we were, like when you're a freshman in high school, especially, you know, in, in the type of town we grew up in, it's a very insulated kind of existence. I mean, that's the beauty of high school is that you, the beauty of, of, of being at that time in your life is that you, you haven't done those things yet. And, and you, you look, looking ahead to those things and you don't know necessarily you haven't taken a lot of chances yet in a way, right? Like totally. if this is about totally. chance, that that's, that's life in a nutshell, right? It's like you start taking more chances and trying new things out experience. So at this time, I think we hadn't really, I hadn't been exposed to a lot of those things. I hadn't started wandering around the right. face of the earth. Right. That was like, that was my post-college or part of college experience too. It was like yeah. being really fortunate, being able to to get out there and, and see different parts of the, of the world and stuff and have that kind of, I would say academic experience, but also just growing experience as, as a, as an adult, just being exposed to all that stuff. Lyrically, I think, you know, this song in a way i'm 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 respecting you know appreciating it looking back on it even more than when i first heard it but just musically dreamline is just you know for me it just it's 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 an introduction it's a beautiful introduction to what you're going to get in this album which is just these beautiful transitions with just this blanket of sort of synth cushions, you know, with like all the awesome stuff that you love about Rush just sitting right on top of it. Synth, synth cushion, you couldn't have said it any better. It's not really out in the front like most of their albums in the early, well, kind of mid-80s, right? But you're absolutely right. It's like a rock band on top of a quiet synth kind of cushion, a cloud. Yeah. So it just sort of keeps the background full, but it's not right in your face. Like pretty yeah. much every Rush album in, from like 83 to seven like through hold your fire yeah and i think you see also in this album you you see more melodic vocal i'd say more i don't want to say um i, I don't want to um belittle it or sort of cheapify it but i'd say there's a little bit more you see kind of efforts on on getty's part to be a bit more commercial with his yep. with vocals and vocal melodies and you know, this is song is just very commercially focused in, in a lot of ways, you know, really catchy vocal and me melodic constructions that also have that awesome rush stuff in the background that, 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 you know, you makes this band so unique, you know, right. you still get the, those driving awesome bass lines and the, the, the drums and the, the, awesome solos that just fill the whole soundscape just the the way that this album is produced and just these these amazing beautiful changes you know on top of these lyrics it showcases like how awesome rush can be with the combination of the beautiful softness mixed with this edge to it well they adapted to the times right and and somebody made a comment a couple of weeks ago uh i think i was uh 
fire pit or something and we were listening to music and they said, you know what I really liked about X band? I'm blanking on what band we were talking about, but it's, you know, they never changed. They never changed with the times. They stick, they stuck to what they loved and knew. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah. And then like later on that night, I thought, well, actually Rush kind of didn't do that. They did the opposite. And they, you know, from the seventies into the eighties, they alienated a lot of fans. And then they got a lot of, you know, because of that change, that synth. And then when they dropped the synth, anyway, I guess I really admire what Rush did. I really, really do. And I think that's why, you know, maybe with the exception of Floyd, that's why they're my favorite band is because they just, they were like, well, this is what we're listening to now. And they were unapologetic about it, you know? So I think a good example, like Bravado, whenever I listen to Bravado, Zach, I, I, I have these weird, I just like threw down on a piece of paper, these like random thoughts. But the first thing I could think of was that like, it makes me homesick. say homesick you know my home is no longer around it got torn down and in the fire no just kidding uh, <laughs> it got it, it somebody came in bought it uh the house i grew up in and and uh rebuilt a mcmansion on top of it but when i listen to bravado it brings back memories and listen to this this album over and over and over again in your room man and you know as simple as we can agree the song is instrumentally i think it speaks louder than many of the other tracks on the album. The band was excited about the, the song's arrangement and I guess they they decided on this one that they didn't want to overwork it um, as they had with other songs. Like, um, I'm thinking about you, La Villa Stragiato. Um, eventually they just decided to keep it simple, which resulted in a, kind of a deeper track. But if you listen carefully to the lyrics, Zach, in Bravado, yeah. I didn't realize that it's kind of, it's pondering the eventual rejection of suicidal thoughts mm. and i didn't really pick up on that and so again it was what was so much fun about researching more of this album was just watching hours and hours of, of interviews that i had to really go hunting for you know the, the the lyric quote though everything is lost we will pay the price but we will count the cost the message i kind of got from that was if you fail try again keep going don't ever give up and I just, I thought this had a deep, it followed similar themes from earlier songs like The Pass on Presto, which I think Getty mentioned was, at one point we were at a show and Getty mentioned was, that was his favorite Rush song. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, just talking about all those things and then coming back to, you know, the inspiration and the, 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 the lyrics, I thought to myself and I'm and I had to kind of look it up what what was going on in Neil's life when he was writing this stuff and what was he questioning fate and the, the progression of events in, in your life and things like that. And I'm I'm just reading now that it wasn't until a few years after this album came out that he lost his daughter and then his wife yeah. uh, within a year or so of each other. Within a year. His common-law wife, Jackie, and his daughter within a year of each other. Yeah. And that's when the band, um, you know, if you're a fan of the band, it's pretty much like, uh, you know, on everyone's radar. The band basically paused and didn't know if they were ever going to come back. Getty yeah. and Alex said in a ton of interviews, like, I thought it might be over, but we didn't want to push Neil they wanted him to come back when he wanted to and i think yeah what was it man was it like a five-year hiatus something like that it it was like yeah late I 90s think, i think yeah his daughter died in 97 his wife died in 98 uh uh daughters was a was a freak accident his right. his uh his wife died of cancer right i believe that they took a break and maybe their next album was vapor trails if i'm not mistaken and you're right. And they opened that tour in Hartford, Connecticut, which that I missed that show. And there's a great interview with Neil where he said like he was nervous as hell that night. And after the show was over, he was like, I got this. And he went to bed that night, like incredibly excited that he made the decision to join the band again. And he was like, this is the reason why I'm on this planet is to yeah. do this. You know, it just, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it today. Yeah. And, and think of, think about as much what, past and how the world changed from roll the bones um or not roll the bones uh counterparts it would have been well wait what was the last album before was it counterparts um you know i'm embarrassed to admit like the it's test for echo okay yeah the 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 90s get a little foggy for me (laughs) for a couple reasons but um mainly because yeah i think like you and i I think I remember you and I like listening to test for echo and being like, eh, yeah, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't. And then we, parts we started, was huge. remember yeah, counterparts counterparts, came in. Yes, we I remember that distinctly listening for the first songs released on, uh, was it WBCN yeah, at the BCN time? And Boston? AF, both, both stations. We had two great rock stations in Boston. Yep. And I remember recording it off the radio when they released that, those songs. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, we, I'm going to listen to the radio, I'm gonna get my cassette ready and just record it. And the play first record, one, like, yes, play record. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, this is the first counterpart song. And because at that time we were just so hungry for like, like yeah. counterparts was com- like the, that space between roll the bones and counterparts was like, it, it, it like that's when I and, and we just got completely obsessed with Rush. So by the time it was like Counterparts, another album's coming out. Yeah. That was truly like our album because that was like the one that came out. Like we were wild. already we were already like like we had we had buried our flag in the ground saying like we're Rush fans and yeah. and it was like official. So that was. That that time we were talking about when I waited outside in like four degree weather to get tickets, and that was a great story because I ended up getting really crappy tickets, and 
you were like, this is unacceptable. And so like after a few phone calls, you call me and you're like, it's all set. Like we're going to, we're going to give back the other ones. And we had, I think we were in the 20th row. So we were on (laughs) and and I was like, I'm just going to follow Zach's lead from now on. And that was the night too, when they played, I mean, they played a ton of songs, but I remember the first time that was the first time I heard analog kid. And, uh, and it was like, wow. Like when the lasers came and they shot right over our heads. And that was, yeah. So that's my fond, one of my, my most fond memories uh, of that, but getting back to, you know, emotional attachments. I mean, I have an emotional attachment to every rush album now and the last couple of years, especially after Neil died in January of 2020. um, You know, I went back and listened to test for echo. I went back and listened to vapor trails. And I remember like texting you and being like, Zach, where were we this, you know, now it's not like front to back, the greatest albums in my opinion but there's some there's some really good tracks on those albums but anyway back to roll the bones zach i'm sure you can kind of relate to this like my my emotional attachment to roll the bones i think it goes farther than just music we've we've hit on this topic a few times already during this this pod like it's no secret i'm attached to the past i i spend many years trying to figure out why because quite honestly i've got a lot more today than I did 32 years ago. But after kind of looking inside and doing a lot of reflection, self-reflection, I suppose, and I was thinking about this, man, what I miss most of all is that feeling of excitement when you're a kid, wondering what are things going to be like when you grow up? You know, as a kid, we didn't think about, you know, I'm going to get heavy for a minute, but like we didn't think about school shootings. At least I didn't. I, I didn't think about politics. I didn't think about injuries. You know, you and I were just talking about, like, you point to like, oh, there's the pizza store and your freaking arm goes out of whack. You know I mean? Like that's, that's part of life now is, is at our ages. Uh, but I didn't think about those things. And I just thought about the future and I just thought about music. And I, I think that that's really a huge reason why this album, you know, why I have such an attachment because it's, I don't think it is. I wouldn't raise my hand and say, this is the greatest Rush album, but it's certainly something that all fans need to listen to. I think it's probably the most special for me because of, because of that, because it was really like our introduction, our step into, um, you know, being fans and being like, Oh, can we, can we join the club too guys? Um, cause rush fans were like very, you know, let's face it. It was all dude mainly until later on. Then they had some women, but rush fans were very, and we became them. We became like, you know, super picky. And if you would meet a rush fan and at a, a party and they were like, oh yeah, you know, my favorite Rush song is Spirit of Radio. You were like, all right, next. Um, not because it's not a good song, but it was just uh, kind of overplayed on the radio. I think we can yeah. agree to that. So. Yeah. It's like, wish, you know, saying, wish you were, wish you were here. Wish you were here. Yeah. Or uh, how I wish you were here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty much everything we're talking about with with high school and just where you are in your life and the simplicity of not having a lot of responsibilities and and i think the way we experience everything nowadays um with um mobile technology and phones and everything like that it's a different reality now and and you know kind of comes back to just how we interact and experience music and stuff but yeah this was one of the albums that was just the soundtrack of our high school careers you know and and just connect so many things with with um vivid memories and 
associations. And it's a nice contrast with the last podcast, the Rush one we did, because I think this one has songs that connected, you know, immediately with our life, as opposed to when we heard those older Rush songs and we're like discovering something that was, you know, released many, many years ago. I felt like it was somebody else's music and they were letting us in on like a cool secret. Right. Mm. But like roll the bones was ours. Like yeah. we were there. Counterparts was ours. You know, we were yeah. there when it, maybe not so much roll the bones, but pretty close, but like counterparts, we were there, you know, the day it opened or the day it opened, the day it was released, the day it dropped. Yeah. And we went out to the store and we bought. It. And then we went into yeah. our cars and we sat in the parking lot and listened to it. Like that yeah. was regular. We put thing. it in that CD player. Put it in that that mobile CD player that we had connected to a, a, a crappy that adapter that you'd stick in your car and then you yep. know hope the disc that, man the disc yeah the disc man wouldn't skip too much on your way you right, know right. home um, and <laughs> you know, pulled out the inlay and started looking through all, all the lyrics and all the you know who are they going to thank on this album? You know, like, um, <laughs> right. and, um, you know, all those details of just discovering it, reading the lyrics as you're listening to it for the first time, you know, and, yeah. um, and, um, you know, if you wanted to go to a concert, you got to, you had to go wait in line at a, at a Newbrae comics or a strawberries where the Ticketmaster out, you know, Ticketmaster outlets, those yep. were the days when, you know, yep. find that outlet to go get tickets yep. and just so much more involved. So it, it just brings back all of those things. And then just, you know, on a, on a musical level, I think, you know, when this album came out too, and, and kind of going to what, what happened with us musically and just as a, as a big picture kind of thing in the context of what was going on in the nineties with music, this was really, this kind of hit before grunge took over. It right? was right around the time, right? I mean, it was, it was, I remember it was early freshman year. So fall of freshman year when somebody said to me like, you more than anyone I know. It was Kyle Hegarty who's been on the podcast before, and you know Kyle. Um, he said, You need to hear this band, Nirvana. And I was like, What is it? Oh, he was like, And I couldn't get the Smells Like Teen Spirit. I asked him a hundred times. But you're right, man. Rush came out during that time frame, and it was different music. It wasn't the grunge, but it did kind of come out before the grunge was slowly starting to bleed out a little bit. But it wasn't until I think really like early to mid ninety two, yeah. when when it really was like yeah. full ten, yeah, yeah. Lollapalooza ninety two I feel like was the you know that's when Soundgarden Alice in Chains like uh, uh, not long after that Alice in Chains came out with Dirt Soundgarden had Bad Motorfinger, um, yeah. Pearl Jam had ten. I mean it was you know so Rush you're right man Rush was a little bit before that and it was interesting that was like. I dove deep into grunge. I think you did a little bit as well, yeah. but you held on to a lot of the other classics. Whereas like I kind of tuned out of everything. I dropped all of my hair metal stuff. Like I stopped listening to poison. I stopped listening to Cinderella and white lion, uh, warrant and trickster and firehouse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> even, though yeah. chased, even though I chased Janie Lane's limo away. Um, Finally found <laughs> the love of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> i remember we went to that softball game in the boston Commons, yes. and you were kind of like 
like along for the ride, but I was just like, no, dude, like the dude warrant. Oh my God, warrant. And yeah. you were like playing along and I'll just, I'll never forget. Yeah. I remember that was the first time I kind of wanted to analyze like my love for hair metal bands. Cause you were like, all right, this is cool. This is cool. But I dropped that phase, moved on to grunge, but Rush was like one of the mainstays. And then I think maybe 93, 94, maybe 94, 95 is when like the jam bands really from my life really started to just hit me to where I couldn't stop listening. To that. But we were yeah. talking earlier about lyrics on this album and I wanted to mention something because I think despite lyrics, my favorite track on this album is Hands Down, Where's My That's the first instrumental that Rush would record since YYZ, which was on 1981's Moving Pictures, which I think a lot of people, Z, would regard as the band's greatest album. It's not necessarily my favorite, but I think it's probably like front to back. It's probably their best. But I laugh when I think of instrumentals because I, I love them. I know you do too. I love how 
a lot of times they scare a lot of pop fans away. I think it's maybe an attention span thing. I don't know. But, um, I just never thought a song had to have lyrics to have meaning. So whenever I listen to, whenever Zach and I listen to Where's My Thing, I'm always like air drumming every single time. Uh, and I, yeah. I, I, dude, I've done this too before. Not long ago, actually, I, I have like anyone who I hear who is like, yeah, I just, I can't get into them. I'm not really into that band. I'm like, oh, I make like a mental note because yeah. I don't want to come off as a douche. But I've had instances where I've been in my car and I'll throw in, where's my thing? And all I'm doing is like, I'm pretending to pay attention to the room. I'm really just like out of the, my right corner, my right eye, I'm like looking over at them, waiting for their head to bob. And almost each time, each person has gone, yo, this is pretty cool, man. What is this? And I'm like, ha ha, you know, so, <laughs> and then yep. of course the conversation follows like, why do you care so much? You know, but I'm like, I just, I, I've got to, I, I think, you know, people who, I think it's Getty's voice that turns a lot of people off. Uh, and, and I just, I think a song, where's my thing? I think anyone who's, especially like a musician can, can get into it. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. You know, the, the way that the order of the songs, you know, you've got a lot of these really beautifully constructed songs with, you know, just looking at the track listing, you know, the Dreamline, Bravado, Roll the Bones, those three, you know, have just so beautifully constructed melodies and transitions and, 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 and really bold, like expansive lyrics and ideas and things that are thrown at you. Face Up kind of like is a little bit a different pacing and like almost more of like a um uh a rock blues structure in a way yeah and then all of a sudden they hit you with this instrumental out of nowhere the sound definitely you got to talk about the sound of their instruments and their basses you know getty used this wall bass on this album that had a distinct kind of sound to it i think maybe this was one of the first albums where where Alex started using the the PRS guitar. And so you had like this different kind of sound and then the, 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 you know, the production of it as well. But where's my thing was just, you know, just this awesome combination of really awesome staccato kind of bass and thumbs and, um, you know, finger kind of combination. And then these awesome driving guitar and synth led changes you know oh, yeah it's kind of like just there is something about the synth in this album that you you hit the nail on the head earlier you said that it was uh, you know just a cushion of of synth right but it, this song it's kind of out in the open but only during those parts i consider it like a like a rock song um i think it was the prs like Alex's guitar is just a lot heavier. And it's, and of course, you've got Neil's. And then you had the cool boom. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. I think that they, that, that came out of just a, a jam session. And, you know, hearkening back to Neil's info that he gave about you know his approach to this album you know he wanted to be less technical of course i think of that song as pretty technical like whenever i want to show someone like you know, show off neil it's kind of like showing off your your big brother or whatever a lot of times i'll play like i said i i would 
I put on Where's My Thing? Because I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't like, I just don't like Rush. I'm like, you don't like them because you don't like that loud screeching voice and you probably heard, you know, Tom Sawyer, what do say? You know, and you hear Getty get all the way up there. For some people, it's just not for them. But I'm like, yeah, you can't, you can't blanket it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and I think there's, there's got to be a, a list of the, the all time best Neil Peart fills. And this has got to be in yeah. the top five or something, yeah. right? This, that, that long fill that he does in the middle of the song, which yeah. is just, everyone's yeah. waiting for that when they play it live. It's yeah. a great live song. It's three to four minutes, just perfect little transitional song to go from one tune to the next. And just, it's got that very melodic, very melodic, yeah. got the call of back and forth of, you know, it's repetitive in a, in a good way. Like it, it's got a, yeah, it's got a theme to it in a sense, like a uh, theme's not the right word, but um, yeah, it, it, it has parts that repeat. So it feels like a real song, even though there's no lyrics, it's not this 30 minute La Villa Strangiato. Uh, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's three or four minutes and it does the trick and then it moves on to the next. So I think it yeah. keeps the attention of people who may be, cause I mean, any like diehard rush fans can listen to it be like, oh, I want this to be longer. But I think you're right. Like, I think um, Rupert Hine and the band this time, like Presto, they were going for maybe a little bit of more of that commercial success or not so much commercial success, but they, they just, they wanted to simplify things a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even that song was, uh, as I'm seeing now, was, was uh, nominated for a Grammy in terms of instrumental song, as I'm, as I'm seeing now, losing to eric johnson's cliffs, cliffs of, of dover yep, yep. <laughs> who, who interest who interest who interestingly i can't talk today who interestingly enough zach he opened for rush during the first leg of the roll the bones tour wow so, wow yeah yeah and also the dreamline reached number one in the u.s where's my thing was actually rush's second song to be nominated for a grammy wow. um and uh, the album itself hit number 10 in the UK, number 11 in Canada, and number three in the US on the Billboard Top 200. And wow. so Roll the Bones was the most, at the time, the most commercially successful album since Moving Pictures. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's amazing. You know, you, you get sort of stuck talking about like the sort of the Rush fanatics and the whole kind of obsession of Rush. But, you know, this album reminds you that this, this band was also one of the most commercially successful bands of all time. And you have, you have these, you know, they, they produced tons of hit singles and album, you know, songs that, that people heard all over the place, whether, whether they were huge Rush fans or not. So they, they had that capability to, to put that stuff together. And then the depth of so much other stuff that musicians like us just latched onto and related to. And, um, I just think it, 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 it shows how amazingly balanced they were as a band to have that amazing musicianship and stuff that, you know, the, the, the bass players and the guitarists, and of course the drummers just obsessed over, but also had this amazing way of tying together melodies and transitions. You know, I always go back to that word transitions because it's just like, that's really like, it hits you when you're listening to these songs. It's just, it's 
that's really what it is. It's like these hard transitions that just hit you out of nowhere. And they design so many of their songs around those just to almost like maximize the effect, you know? And yeah. I think a lot of their song construction comes down to those things. Like the journey that all the songs take you on, they're so multidimensional. Yeah, I think it, it's important to to talk about the song Roll the Bones too, because I can remember that song taking a bit of a hit from the sort of non-Rush fans and when it got popular, you know, because Roll the Bones, the song has that rap section in the middle. One of the other things that this research did was it actually showed me that the rap part was just Getty with a, an effect on his voice. Mm. I didn't know that. I, I could have sworn somebody told me, and I thought it was you, but it could have been somebody else, that it was uh, the rapper KRS-One from Boogie Down Productions. But then really? wow. sat there for like a, like a couple minutes and I was like, maybe, maybe I just dreamt that. You know how sometimes... I don't know if you're guilty of this, but like sometimes I just like I'll dream something up in my head or maybe I overheard someone saying something and then I create my own. But I could have sworn that's who it was. So and yeah. interestingly, so I thought it Getty, was Neil for a, for a while, too. I thought it was Neil. Yeah, it was it was it was Getty. He just he put an effect on his voice and he was talking about his voice, too, on the album. And he said he intentionally kept his voice in a more natural, lower tone that that really added to the melodic character of the band and he said um there's so much scope and so much music available when you keep your voice at a lower tone when he sings and so i i just thought that was interesting because yeah there really aren't a ton of songs on this album roll the bones where he gets up as high as you know bastille day or anthem i mean yeah anthem is like, forget it right yeah that's really interesting you say that because that that does come across really clearly in this album that he he is working in that lower register and thinking more about kind of it, it's it's a different way that he shapes melodies he's not trying to force his voice and 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 get it to that upper register he's really kind of living in that world of of uh, just comfort almost like his speaking voice. Zodiac. 
these songs you know yeah. and bones is it is an example of that too when when they get to the chorus you know why does it happen because it happens he's not trying to push it you know yeah i think that definitely comes across and and they wrote a lot of the songs like around that bravado is a great example of that too Same you know thing. yeah very easy lit- like you and i could stand up and play that tomorrow i mean it's- yeah we could learn it and it'll be super easy. So. Yeah. Why do you think, with Roll the Bones, why do you think they, did you ever find out why they wanted to put like a rap section in there? I mean, it was it was really Neil's idea, but mm. I remember we talked about this, but I never really feel like I found the, the right answer. Yeah. I mean, they were experimenting, I think, with di- with different things at the time, as they always do in all their albums. I'm sure also the, the popularity of, of hip hop you mentioned KRS One, and this was also early '90s. You know, right. uh, there was a lot of good hip hop back then. Um, with uh, Yo MTV Raps and Tribe Cold Quest and De La Soul and, yep. and oh Boogie Down Productions Kings. and One and um, the Jungle Brothers and like you know like yeah. the early '90s hip hop thing. I'm sure those were potential influences, and and also just like I think it just fit with with the song. They were just looking for more of this kind of edgy kind of staccato kind of breakdown section. I also saw in this album a lot of uh, different kinds of effects, even effects on the drums at times in, I think, Where's My Thing? Neil uses almost like a phasing effect on the drums. And you hear that connected to the drum sound, which could have been like MIDI and other things he was experimenting with at the time. And I think you see the same thing with Getty and Alex's sound that comes across in Roll the Bones. You know, Getty was sort of slapping it a lot and using his thumb and getting these harder, edgy kind of sounds. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you hear in the background underneath this rap. You, well, you hear. Yep. He uses the boom, boom, Yeah. He uses the wall bass, which I think is, if I remember, that's the first time he used that. I believe he used his Fender. Um, and, you know, he was using that famous Steinberger throughout the, the 80s. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. This is the first time since the late seventies that Neil went back to acoustic drums because he had used electric drums all throughout mm. the eighties. I'm oh, not quite sure if he did on moving pictures. Um, I think it would be all acoustic drums on that, but he used electric drums all through the eighties. And this was the first album when he went back to acoustic drums. So, um, that obviously plays a lot into their sound. Um, another one of my, probably my second favorite, I don't know. I think it's, where's my thing and then maybe bravado or but a special song to me has always been the big wheel and not just on this album but just in general as a rush song i think a lot of people wouldn't ever even put the big wheel on their top 20 but for me it's 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 up there it's not an incredibly technical song but i looked into this and it's a it's a song that neil wrote 
keeping in mind the trade-off between innocence and experience. And he said it, it wasn't autobiographical. songs he wrote weren't autobiographical but he wanted to find universal things that people could relate to and as i mentioned earlier he enjoyed riding his motorcycle from city to city during during tours and he'd stop at like the smallest diner in the middle of nowhere and have breakfast and just listen to people around him talk uh, and he said that he was influenced by just hearing people just embarking on their regular day and this is what he said kept life on the road for him leveled and the big wheel really had a lot to do with that so another song actually before i go on to the next one what are some of your thoughts about i say something that, yeah the big wheel you know it's funny really uh was not anticipating this but in in diving back into this album i i feel like i knew a lot of the other more kind of a-side songs really well and it's the cool thing when you go back into an album, then you kind of rediscover or, or you know discover other songs that you didn't really listen to as much. And the Big Wheel was one of those. And interestingly enough, the one that I've sort of found myself re-singing over and over again as I've been listening to this album. And I think it has a lot to do with what I was talking about before, which is like very commercialized lyrical melodies you know, that you don't often hear in Rush songs, you could almost take this song and, and have like a, a country singer or someone redo it. I, I Like I've been thinking about that because of the playing for time, don't wanna wait for heaven, looking for love for an, for an angel to forgive sins. You know what I mean? Like it's that's like a really nice little, yeah. Kind of the lyrics are beautiful. Bluegrassy kind of song that yeah. you could, you could play. You know, you could imagine somebody playing it, and I, and I think that that kind of the way that Getty sings in in that in the chorus in the song is something you don't often see in Rush songs. In the way that it, it has that kind of 
commercial uh, and you know really straight ahead kind of structure to it. Only a kid didn't know enough to be afraid, playing the game, but not the way the big boys played. Nothing to lose, maybe I had something to trade, the way the big wheel spins. It's exactly what we were talking about earlier with being 14, and you're just a kid and you're not thinking about you know some of those heavier things that I was mentioning, right? So, I don't know, this song really resonated with me, and, and I have to say that this one sticks out uh, whenever I pull up roll the bones the album this is always the first one that i go to um, really yeah wow. it just it just has that that i don't know i feel like this is this is my song like a, you know every time i meet a rush fan and they're like oh you know we talk about the you know the the usuals right sometimes it's cool to meet someone who's just like yeah you know i really like uh they'll name a real random track maybe jacob's ladder or something like that but uh, but this to me is just a melodic harmony that makes me think of again. It makes me nostalgic for for those those times. So yeah, and I, and I think that really speaks to like you know I, I mean the the whole album and especially these these you know when you have the big wheel, ghost of a chance, bravado, you have these really almost somber. Yeah beautifully constructed melodies and and really just beautiful songs that are really accessible you know that 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 are not always you don't always yeah. Song. yeah it's not the it's, again it's there aren't any 30 minute instrumentals or even 30 minute sort of prog rock you mentioned ghost of a chance zach and um just kind of the way it was a little bit more commercial or softer whatever you want however you want to put it um it was interesting, Neil, when he was talking about Ghost of a Chance, same interview, he was saying that it's not really a love song or a ballad, even though it kind of is considered one by some of the fans, but it fit in with Neil's overall theme of randomness.
the guiding hand of fate I don't believe in forever But love has a mystical state I don't believe in the stars or the planets Or angels watching from above But I believe there's a ghost of a chance We can find someone to love When they get laughed Uh, and he said something that was really cool, like uh, all the things that we go through in life and the people that we meet, it's mostly by chance that the places that we go, the people that we meet there, all those people or all those things are so random. And yet through all that, people do end up meeting each other. So there's a ghost of a chance that something special could happen when two people meet. The odds are usually against it, but at the same time, the ghost of a chance sometimes does come through and people will find each other and stay together. I know I have a unique situation in how I met my wife. Uh, I, I kind of consider that a, sort of a ghost of a chance. Uh, but I think this theme, again, it, it was an acceptable theme for Neil to write in terms of a love song, but he, it was funny. He wouldn't ever call it a love song. And then I started thinking to myself, are there any Rush songs that are sort of like Poison or Motley Crue, you know, like uh, uh, Every Rose Has Its Thorn or Home Sweet Home. And then I was like, no, they, they don't exist. Like, there really aren't. There are certainly songs about women, but it's, I don't think you'll hear the word baby in many of their. Yeah. Well, you couldn't songs. go back to the early, you know, the first the album. First album, yeah. maybe. That's a good point. Wanted to sound Talking like about fast cars and chicks with, uh, you know, yeah. tight jeans. Yeah. Right, right. There was, of course, I think, but that was pre-Peart and pre-like... Rutsey was writing. Was, Neil and, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, John Rutsey was doing a lot of the writing and so was uh, so was Getty and yeah. Alex a little bit too. And they, they wanted to, as we know, they Rutsey wanted to get, kind of go more in the direction of bad company. And yeah. Getty said in like thousands of interviews like they wanted to go more in the direction of yes pink floyd king crimson and uh so that was mainly why rutsy quit yeah well boy boy did they they ever <laughs> know, pick right? the right replacement yep um and and to just peer just immediately define them and and open them up to you know all these amazing concepts and and wordings you really see you know i'm just looking at the like the lyrics for ghost of a chance you know, and he's just, he's pretty explicit, you know, it's like, he's, yeah. I don't believe in destiny or the guiding hand of fate. I don't believe in forever or love as a mystical state. I don't believe in the stars or the planets or angels watching from above. I believe there's a ghost of a chance we can find someone to love and make it last. He's just, I mean, basically he's out there, right? Like saying simple, but it's like, I think it, it resonates a lot and it uh, again sticks with the theme which is so amazing like dude you could argue that once again this is a concept album in a sense i mean they don't repeat you know unlike a um i remember the first time i heard the wall and i remember hearing like the 
narrow, 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 going through different songs. And I was like, oh my God, like this is what a concept album is. And Russ certainly has that as well in other albums. But I mean, in a way, this is kind of a concept album because it it follows the same theme from song to song to song and doesn't break from that, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All the songs in this album really just, they connect with this idea of like, like the chance versus fate and are things predetermined or are things just the luck of the draw? Right. And you see him battling through those things, which is why, why it made me think about his own life at that time. Like, was he questioning those things in his own life? You know, were things happening to him where he was just like, you know what? I don't think there is uh, any kind of uh, overpowering force out there that's causing these things to happen. Maybe it's just luck. Maybe it's yeah. just weird people that you meet in your life. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think this whole album deals with with that balance of what is it? What are the forces that that move our life along? Did you ever see the movie Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow? Came out in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yes, Jude Law. Yes. And it, yeah, and it was literally like, what would happen if she makes a train and meets the love of her life? Or I think in this, I'm going back now, it's probably been 20 years since I've seen the movie, but I think one of them, she she either makes the train and meets this guy who she ends up marrying and then the guy ends up being like a jerk. And then, you know, while that movie's playing, the same movie you're watching is also clipping to what happened to her life when she didn't make that train. Mm. And so I just, I remember sitting in my apartment in Brookline watching that and being like, whoa, this, that's pretty heavy stuff. Like thinking about life and just how little things you take one step out and and you meet one person, you know, you decide to go out one night. You didn't want to go out, but you decide to go out and, or vice versa. You, you don't feel well and you decide not to go out and you find out something terrible happened that night and you missed it, you know? So, yeah, um, you know, yeah. It, it, go ahead. What were we going to say? Sorry. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and it's almost like an empowering concept that like it's in your hands, you know, like sometimes it doesn't always yeah. work out. And it's not because it's been predetermined, but because it's kind of up to you, you know, to make it last and to make things work. And, yeah. um, and sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't, you know? So for sure it's, it's, it's a applying that idea of, of chance to life and to experiences that we're going to go on what it does is it, it basically says you're the one that makes things happen and and yeah. you, you don't have to blame it on anything or anyone i think that's part of what neil might be saying here something cool about the the music of roll the bones we've been talking about the lyrics for so long going back to the music i thought this was interesting zach neil said when he was writing roll the bones he went back and listened to um, power windows, uh, which I remember when I heard this, I was watching an interview and I was like, okay, he's got my attention. Power windows came out in 85 and it was the first album that they produced with Peter Collins. Um, and Peter Collins's approach was to put tons of different sounds, instruments, synth on the album. And I think Neil made a really interesting comment when he said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, I still really enjoy power windows, but when I listened to it the other day, it had been several years and I was distracted by how many sounds were coming at me at once. And he kind of winced and he said, honestly, I found it dizzy. 
And he goes, I've got no regrets, but I'm glad that phase of our career is sort of over. And he went on to say that the band's approach to Roll the Bones, maybe minus Getty, who was really famous for, even to this day, he'll admit he was a little sad to say goodbye to all the synth, but uh, Getty admits that it was the right decision. But, you know, the band's approach was really to break it all down, take out a lot of that sound, um, and just make it a, a rock record with kind of less going on. But like you mentioned, there's still that synth, cushion in the background but it's not you know in your in your face yeah i would say one way to perhaps sum up what you're saying is that i would say that in a lot of their previous albums the lyrics served the instrumentation and really were just other elements to mix into the whole orchestration and songs, the Rush songs as a whole, right. right? I would say what you see in this album is you see, in a way, kind of the flip side of that, where the synth serves the lyrics mm -hmm. and the vocals and the lyrics take center stage. Of course, you see that in other, in other songs where, you know, I feel like a lot of their choruses are designed that way where um there's a, a major shift a major transition and then there's a very heavy beautiful vocally led melody that getty shows and then the all the the instrumentation kind of supports that and then when we go back into the verses and all that stuff everything comes back in but i think you see that in other songs like um was it marathon um or, you know, some of their earlier songs where these really beautiful vocal-led choruses. So I think, yeah, for sure, I think that the, the production of this one, for sure, lends itself really well to all that. And it goes back to, you know, what we were talking about. They've always been transparent that they've listened carefully to the music of present day each time they write a new record. And they were, you know, also really upfront that they responded to present day music you can really hear it in virtually every Rush album, right? Like think of Fly By Night and Hemispheres and think of moving pictures to hold your fire. Like the difference is there. Um, yeah. Think of Counterparts and then think of Clockwork Angels, right? The, the band always kept their lyrics and technicality at a peak level. But when you listen to each album, it's obvious that they were incorporating present day music. And I think, you know, you've said it a bunch of times already, you know, how... It, it was just before the grunge kind of came out. Um, the, the grunge genre had really hit big and they were still working off of sort of grooving, following that, that magic carpet ride from the 80s into the 90s. And then I guess counterparts, they started to get a little bit heavier. And then Test for Echo, they got a little bit heavier. Vapor Trails, there's some almost like borderline metal song, practically, like it's really heavy stuff. So. Um, We've been talking about some of our favorite songs. I have to say, one of my least favorite songs, Neurotica, it's, I was thinking about this. It's probably one of my least favorite Rush songs, but every time I throw on the album, I, I listen to it. I 
lyrics are very interesting, but the chorus is, I think, a little repetitive. It's a little soft for me, softer than say even like bravado, but every time I listen to it, man, I still smile. It just, it reminds me of driving around in our hometown. And, and so the point I'm trying to make is it's it's still in a weird way, it's still special to me. And I think it, going back to the comment I made earlier about how it's the emotional attachment to the time, as opposed to just listening to, it's neurotica. It's, it kind of seems like Getty, I just remember thinking like Getty just, or Neil basically, Getty and Neil were like, just let's, let's find every word out there that rhymes with neurotica and just say that for 10 minutes in this song or four minutes, however long the song is. I also think heresy brings back the same feeling to me that neurotica does. And I, although I enjoy this track more than neurotica, I think heresy is a, a beautiful song and I forgot how much I loved it. played it live do you ever remember seeing it i don't remember seeing heresy played live it's a really interesting song and and another one of these just really melodically driven songs that have this kind of like i said sort of almost somber kind of feel to them yeah. uh, and interesting instrumentation to it as well and it almost has kind of a connection to you know when they started talking about like russia and eastern europe like communism it, it, it almost yeah. felt a bit like um some of the older pink floyd songs including you know maybe even one from a little album called the final cut perhaps uh, it's perfect lyrics right there all, all around that dull gray all around that dull gray world from moscow to berlin People storm the barricades, walls go tumbling, and boom, there, there it is right there, the point you just made, right? So, yeah. Interesting lyrics. I, I just, I think that this is, despite the fact they weren't singing about wizards and witches and all these, like, third worlds that, you know, only exist in their head, Cygnus X1, you know, and you hear these, like, spaceship sounds and uh, everybody knows where they were the first time they heard 2112, the song. You know, in Temple of Syrinx and everything like that. But this is just, I don't know, there's something about heresy that um, 
I just, uh, again, it, I, I get the same feeling that I did. Just that kind of nostalgic feeling for the for the time. But when you dig deep and, or just, you don't even have to dig deep. When you just look at the lyrics, it, it, uh, it really has a cool, a cool message. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just again, like coming back to the, the genius of Neil Peart's lyrics and the journey that he takes you through, through the, through Rush's career of albums. And I mean, to have a drummer who's so incredibly skilled like he is, but also give you in the early part of like, you're talking about these early Rush albums with this world of like medieval, right. um, you know, references and going through the forests and all this, yeah, right, right. you know, and then now years later, you know, talking about politics of Eastern Europe, but also these bigger ideas of life and chance and fate and where life is taking us. And I mean, you know, it's the messages of these amazing Rush songs and just the things that, that really last. Here we are years later, you know, looking back and dissecting these songs and talking about all these things in different ways that we never did before, even though we've been listening to these songs for decades. Well, I have, and, I have to give you credit because it was this was your idea. And when you first said it to me, I think I was standing on the steps of your, your parents' house. It's like, you know, eh, like in my head, I was like, eh, I, I don't know if I would pick that one. It's not my necessarily, but then it hit me. And I think you even said it. It was like, that was really like our first album that we kind of became real fans, I think. And, and, and before moving on, I guess, I didn't know if there were any other songs you wanted to point out. I want to wrap up at some point soon. Yep. And I wanted to just quickly, uh, or at a certain point soon, go into some of the live shows that we saw. Because I think that this podcast wouldn't be complete without talking about some of those. But were there any other songs on this album you wanted to call out that we haven't already called out? Um you mentioned quickly Neurotica, and I think that probably the last one too, You Bet Your Life, mm -hmm. uh, also has a, a, a very similar driving chorus. I think there's also a lot of vocal layers that happen in this album. You see Getty experimenting a lot with double, triple tracking his voice and and harmonizing with himself and, and creating a lot of kind of interesting timing with the vocal layers and things. And I think you get that a little bit and you bet your life as well. You got some multiple layers things where there's like a talking in the background. And then it kind of connects in with, you know, everything we've been talking about, about about chance and how it applies to to life and the steps that you take and and the um you know the the repercussions of your choices and things like that.
But no, I think we covered it pretty well. I think for me personally, Bravado is a song that really struck me in a similar way to, I guess, what you were saying about the big wheel. For me, just the sound of Bravado just really takes me right back to, to seeing seeing this tour on these rush concerts because um it just has this beautiful this this beautiful tone and and consistency to this whole song you know and i can just see the the lasers rising up from the stage and it has this really beautiful just driving really simple bass bass line in the background uh and and then alex's staccato kind of yeah echoey i just feel like i'm Hearing it in an arena, you know, and the echoing yeah. sound of his his guitar and yeah, and it, and it and it it also like escalates and gets and it's a beautifully constructed song that just you know starts really mellow but then just like builds and builds and yep. builds. We will pay the price, right. and it just keeps going and going. And so you know, I think for me that really encapsulates this album is just this this really you know, beautiful commercial kind of packaging of the songs that they thought about. But underneath that surface, that beautiful melodic surface is still all the things you love about Rush. You know, we haven't even really talked too much about Alex Lifes and his solos are sound in this album too, but like his solos were just amazing in this album too. And, and the sound of his guitar. And I think it was really kind of a, a breakthrough album in that way for him as well. It's funny, Alex doesn't always get the credit that Neil and Getty get because many would argue that they're best at their craft. But I think Alex in many ways is underrated, but some Rush fans would say he's not underrated. He's 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 perfectly rated. You know, he's uh he is incredible. And you're right, this album, more so than past Rush records, made me really listen to Alex's playing over some of Getty's. I mean, my ear kind of naturally like yours goes to the bass, but you're right. Alex really had a unique sound on this album. And I think it might've been one of the first albums where he was really kind of, I hate to use the word equal, but it just, it was the first album that I can remember where I wasn't just laughing and giggling at how ridiculously good Getty's bass was or, you know, his guitar just really had a a strong presence and was kind of all three instruments together. I think I I had made that note earlier was that, you know, this was a three-piece band mixed on top of some, some quiet synth that every once in a while will fill in and accentuate the vocals a little bit, right? So yeah, on the tour, they, they toured on this album I thought they went longer than this, but I guess they didn't. They toured from October of 91, so less than like a month or about a month after the album was released. And they toured through July of 92. And Zach and I, I looked it up, dude. We saw them June 17th, 1992 at Great Woods. And I've got the stub to prove it. Wow. Um, it was the first Rush show for both of us. And we would get to enjoy 23 more years of seeing the band live in concert. And then I was thinking back, combined, you and I, I feel like you and I have attended at least one show on every tour that followed the Roll the Bones 
tour, um, all the way up to their R40 farewell tour, which was in 2015, mm -hmm. which, yeah, just, of which I went to the very last one here in yeah. LA at the forum. Yeah. yeah. What so was there that it was, like, man? June, what? June 17th, 2022 to, um, let me, I'm going to look this up because I, um, June I, I, 17th, I, 92, right. Was that what you meant to say? Uh, nine, 92. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Nine, nine, okay. 92. Um, and so 2015 was their last show at the forum yeah. uh, and their very last years. show together. And it was August 15th, 2015. So that was their last concert ever that I went to at the forum with Neil. And so July to 17th to, to 92 to August 15th, 2015. Would you um, say that was, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you say that was the best take out that that was their last show? Would you say that that was the best rush show you ever saw? What made that show so cool in, well, two things come to mind. One, I didn't get the best ticket. Well, three things. I'll start with yeah. how I, get <laughs> I remember. So Oliver, our first my oldest son was about a year old. We, and my wife was pregnant with our second son. And I remember thinking and, and not finding anybody to go to that show with me. And, you know, we're sort of amidst, you know, early childhood life of not having time to do this or that, and, and just being in that world and wondering, hmm, should I go to this? Am I able to like get out one night and go to this? And I remember finding someone selling one ticket on Craigslist for pretty cheap. And I called him and I'm like, yeah, you know, I really want to go to this concert, you know, um, could be Rush's, well, it's their farewell, not their farewell tour, but it was Whatever. Rumors were flying. Rumors were flying that it was going to be their last, but I don't think it had. Right. Ever yeah. It was kind of out there. Obviously, we didn't know anything about Neil, but it was out there. You're right. And that's why that was part of my incentive. And I'm like, I got it. You know, and I remember this guy telling me on the phone, and I, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I got one kid. I got another kid on the way. And I remember him saying, oh, you got to go to this concert, man. I'm coming over. I'm selling you this ticket. And, and I just remember, like, <laughs> A few minutes later, this guy knocking on my door, um, and he's like, here you go, man, you got to go tonight. Like, and he, he, who's just like connecting with, and I'm like, all right, all right, I'm going. So I went on my own, I bought this guy's single ticket, went on my own. Um, I, it was not a great seat. It was way in the back, but the LA forum is pretty small and the, the sound is right. great. Yeah. I was Very in the back. cool venue. And I was just having the time of my life. And I remember maybe about halfway through the concert, I don't know if I ever told you a story. This guy walks up to me and he goes, and I had my, like my old rush, like show, show of hand shirt. Show I was like, shirt. you know, clearly like a huge, and he's like, dude, you look like you're really into this. Um, I have this ticket and I'm not going to be staying for the rest of the concert, but here you go. Here's my ticket. And I'm like, I, in the midst of the moment, I was like, you know, maybe it's whatever, like another ticket in the same section. And I'm like, great. I get to, you know, I was like, all right, thanks, man. You know, jamming out, right? The song ends. I look at the ticket and it's like way down there. Yeah. Like 
near the stage, like right in the, the first level, right above the, the floor. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I, I walk and I take this stub down there and I get down and I watch the rest of the concert at this guy's seat right above the floor. And so that was awesome. And then, but then the concert itself was so cool the way they constructed it because yep. they went back in time. They yeah. did. They started so, with they started with you know their most recent album Clockwork Angels. They played four or five songs off that, and then there yeah. were no repeats from the album after that. And then they just went album by album by album. In yeah. many cases, they could only do one song from right. some of the albums because there's so freaking many of them. Yeah. And they but, played uh, Cygnus too. They played on that on that. I was concert. just gonna say that was it was. I looked it up. Um, some of the highlights were. Uh, Xanadu, the camera eye, Cygnus X1, books one and two, which blew my mind. And then I, one of the biggest shockers of the night to me, shocker, was um, Jacob's Ladder, which I had never, ever heard live. And I just never thought in a million years they would pull that out. I think yeah. I had heard everything else at some point in some sort of melody. Remember in the 90s when they would do like a melody, they would start with, uh, 2112 and they would like do a little bit of this song and a little bit of that song and you know they'd kind of do like a little melody sandwich yes. which was mm -hmm. so cool and they'd end up getting in a lot of pieces of different songs because they had so many but on yeah. this night no melodies it was the songs all the way through and i mean the fact that they did cygnus books one and two so you got to see neil's last drum solo ever yeah yeah ever yeah Absolutely. I mean, uh, boy, am I glad I went to that concert. And what are the chances that I'd be living in LA, you know, about to have my second kid and they're playing their last show ever, you know, ever. And, um, and, uh, and this would happen, you know, and I'd just, I'd be given the ticket and watch it right yeah. there in the forum. It was amazing. I had the time of my life and I loved it. And I'm so glad I went and, and yeah, it's a great, kind of thing to end on or just wrap up in a way like just the, the journey that they've taken us on and and you know going from this first tour roll the bones to this last show that i went to you know in between so many amazing rush concerts and and experience listening to rush and and the impact that that they had on on us you know our life but also you know playing music I certainly wouldn't have picked up the bass if I hadn't heard Getty Lee and the bass solo on Free Will and such a massive impact that this band has had on our life. Yeah. Um, it's you know. sweet, right? It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. now when I listen to the band, thankfully, more often than not, 95% of the time brings back a lot of happy memories. Or I'm just in the moment and I'm listening to something. But sometimes... I find myself turning it off mid song because I get emotional about, you know, just the fact that Neil's gone. And although this might sound silly to some people who are listening to this who aren't Rush fans, you know, there's just, there's an attachment that you have to an artist that helped change your life. And when they're gone, even though you weren't necessarily personal friends with them, you know, you really feel like this, this piece is gone. You know, we'll never see the band. I mean, they're going to, they're going to do what like Zeppelin did pretty much is, I mean, they're never going to play again. They're like, we can't play it. And there's a lot of other bands that kind of did the same thing. But... So it's, it's bittersweet, but I'm glad to get to do things like this with you. And uh, 
uh, and again, I have to give you the credit. This was your idea. And um, I hesitated for several months when I started albumreview.net to even do a rush album because I was trying to be uh, a lot more casual about, you know, how I felt about certain things. And I was like, what am I talking about? Like, this is, this is how I feel. And this is, and I want to have people on, you know, so I want to do reviews in the future of other albums that I might not necessarily be like super passionate about, but I want to hear somebody else's experience. And really the reason for all this is to get you, the listener to maybe take a chance, right? Going back to the theme of the album, take a chance and, and listen to it. And you know, maybe you only lose a couple minutes, but maybe you find another good song that sticks in your head. You know, my son Danny just recently discovered the song Centerfield by John Fogarty. And now he can't, he goes around. It's been for like a week straight. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. That's awesome. And, and he's going around and it's like, I'm so happy because it's like the first song he's been singing that's, you know, written before 2021. Well, I wanted to, in closing, in memory of someone that we recently lost, Jerry Springer, I wanted to do a Final Thought, which he did at the end of all of his shows. If I remember correctly, it was called Final Thought. Yeah, the Final Thought. Yeah. So I know for many out there, Rush is an acquired taste. There aren't many who kind of like the band. You either love them or you hate them. I think that's, I don't know, that's been clear to me. But I'm so grateful the element of chance played a part in turning me on to the band. Because of this, I enjoy decades of hard-thumping, tight-sounding, melodic music that made me consistently check my heart to ensure it wasn't going to jump straight out of my chest. And because of this, I developed friendships with other Rush fans around the world and grew an, ev grew an even deeper bond with music and so. For those people out there, like I was saying, I invite you to take a chance, listen to Rush. I don't think you'll be disappointed, but if you decide it's not for you, at least you took the chance, right? Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Thanks for listening to the albumreview.net podcast. And thanks to my dear friend, Zach Stoff, for joining me. If you're interested in any of the albums or books that I've discussed in this episode or previous episodes, Go to albumreview.net and pick up a copy of your own. Listen to all my podcast album reviews at albumreview.net by clicking on the podcast tab. They can also be heard wherever podcasts are available. Please follow the show on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes. And also, I mentioned this at the top of the uh, episode, if you guys would be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, that action right there, just a two-second action helps move the needle and get the word out there. I do want to hear from you too. Please email me your feedback, any album review requests, or any questions you might have to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. If you'd like to get regular updates on reviews, interviews, product, and music news, go to the homepage and join the mailing list. You can also visit our YouTube page and stay tuned for updates on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can find me at AlbumReviewNet on those platforms. All right, I'm done here, so check you later, guys. Check you later.
Down by the highway 